You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning, Canby Foursquare. How y'all doing? You good-looking bunch. I can see you today. We have uh, this all worked out, so the glare is not hitting me. Where last week it was just one big blinding look at myself. It was more like a mirror. It's good to see uh, you guys are alive and well out there, right? Good. Uh, wow, Dave, Christy Barnett, you guys have switched sides. Quarantine has brought on some good changes. Made you switch things up. Well, church, we are continuing our series today in First in Peter, and we will be in First Peter chapter 4 today. So if you want to start heading that direction, I would recommend that. We'll be reading from that in just a few short minutes. We are on the tail end of our series in First Peter, and Pastor Ron will uh, wrap it up in the next couple weeks, and he will be preaching to us uh, next week. And then we will go right on into Second Peter. It's been such a good series. And for me, the Lord has done so much in my own personal life with going through First Peter that Pastor Ron just said, hey, let's just continue on in Second Peter and keep this train going. And so uh, we look forward to Second Peter and getting to have a full look at a, a great friend and a disciple of Jesus. It has... Uh, been a tremendous transformation in my own life of me thinking about where my heart is. In, do, I, do I respond to people in the flesh? Do I respond to people according to the Spirit? What is the, uh, last week what we looked at, what is central to us? The, is the cross really central in our life? Is the cross truly central in our churches? We say all the time that we want to be a gospel-centered church. We want to be a Christ-centered church. And, and, and it would do us well to stop every now and again and, and to think about what does that mean? What does it think about living that out? In 1 Peter chapter 4 today, we uh, have an interesting look at the follow-up right behind what I think Peter was getting at with the the, the climax or the crescendo of, of the book in the gospel last week in chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. And now what, what Peter will do is he'll say, with that information, and if this truth is real in our life, what then shall we do about it? We'll continue on uh, in the book of First Peter chapter 4. If you are there, I will read this, and I'm going to read through the entire chapter today. And it's, it's not that long. It's only 19 verses. But what I will do is I will read through the whole chapter, and then we won't go like we usually do and go each and every verse. I'll hit on a few, cube, uh, few um, points, and then we'll circle back, and we'll call it good for a message. Uh, I want to think about, I want you to think about uh, something when you go through something in life, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a tribulation, when you're ups and downs, how do you respond? Who do you turn to? Maybe um, is, is your first uh, turning, is it, is it maybe some of you are further along as veteran saints, maybe you turn to the Lord. 
Or is it a spouse? Is it um, a close friend? Maybe for, for others of us, when we're down, we just we turn on the TV. Uh, we, we just binge watch old episodes of our favorite comedy or sitcom. Or maybe for others, it's we turn to a substance and we, we turn to that substance to fulfill a void. And, and what Peter is going to do, I think, here in chapter 4 is he's going he's gonna to poke at us and he's going to say, basically, you have a choice today. You have a choice based on the cross, based on our sufferings, based on the trials that are going on around us on how to respond. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that has really, that has really gone through stuff in life, that has had a really dramatic life. Uh, we have several people in our life and when we were in Cambodia, we'd meet many people who were a part and went through the Khmer Rouge in 1975 to 1979. And it was, a, it was a, just a traumatic time in the country of Cambodia. It ripped apart uh, families and lives and displaced millions. Millions were killed at the hands of communist leaders uh, taking over the country. And... I, we, we personally, we lived in a, in a slum area of town, and we had, um, you know, it was the type of place where the above-ground sewage and pig farms, and it was, it was dirt roads, and it was, a, it was an interesting place to live. And I was surrounded by poverty. I was surrounded by people that truly were praying, give us today our daily bread. And in that time... I met some of these people, and they were some of the most wonderful people I've ever met. You would talk to them, and they had age and time on their side. They had perspective. And when you would hear their story of going through concentration camps, of being left for dead, of having everything they owned ripped away from them, they were warm, and they were kind, and they were thankful for what they had. And I thought it was interesting to see that this was the majority. This was the majority to those who responded in, in, from their pain. And yet you would always find a few others that they had went through the same thing, maybe in the same camp, maybe in, from the same village, and their response was hard, and it was cynical, and it was mean, and it was aggressive, and it was, I'll get everything back that I lost mentality. I just find it interesting that people can go through nearly the same experience and come out of it completely different. In First Peter today, Peter will talk about the, the example of Christ's suffering. And that he will leave us saying that there should be an expectation that if we're followers of Christ, that we will suffer that there's the fallenness of the world, that there's natural disasters, there's sufferings all around us. That sometimes we're suffering because of our own evil behaviors. And in all the types of sufferings, as Christ the example and Christ the comforter with us in that, we can choose to respond. We get to choose our response we get to choose on how we will 
get through our sufferings. We will choose how we will live our life. We will choose how we live out the gospel message. Today, we are going to look at steadfast in godly living. We're looking at steadfast, our series, steadfast in godly living. That's the sermon title for today. So grab your Bibles. Just know that I'm really excited. I am, I am a very excited preacher that loves this book. And this, this is just like a dog on a chain for me right now where I have to stay here. Uh, pray for my excitement level for this message today because I just want to come out and get really excited about today and today's text. So this is probably God's grace to you that he's keeping me behind this today. So hang in there. <laughs> here we go. Oh, I cannot come out there. Sit right here. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's very grace Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12 through the following. Beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trials when it comes upon you and tests you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And all God's people said amen. How about out there on the patio? We hear you. We hear you. Now, the reason why I open with Scripture, and I want you to follow along and read the Scripture, is because I know Scripture is good, and the sermon might not be. So I want you to be left with some good meat as you leave this place. So the reason why we read through all 19 verses is I know, now I know, that you got something good from today's sermon. And the rest, we'll see. So, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, stay here, Pastor Marks. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. We don't have to go much further than a therefore. See that second word there? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. What, he, what we're going to have presented to us today is a choice. We get to choose flesh or spirit. And how do we choose flesh or spirit? We choose flesh or spirit based on what came before. Remember last week, Peter told us about the gospel and what Christ did to save us from Satan's sin and death. And so the therefore is a response. And as good Bible study students, this is what we always have to be thinking about. When we see a therefore, we got to ask the question, what is it there for? Right, the crowd goes wild, you know it, good. So we're asking, why is this therefore? What is it there for? Because he is mentioning, based on Christ's example and his demonstration of how he died and how he conquered Satan's sin and death, he now says, therefore, based on that, this is how we ought to live. It's a cause and effect. Uh, Therefores are significant and important in our study of God's word. If we look at much of how Paul writes, Paul will write a letter and he will start out on some real dense doctrine. Like he will talk about thick stuff like the nature of God and, and Christ is in the Trinity and the origins of sin. And, and, and he will talk about some heady theology. And this is all through Ephesians. In Ephesians, the first chapter, first three chapters are all real heady doctrine where you're like nodding your head, but you don't get it. But we all do that. Yeah, we get it, Paul. And then on chapter 4, he says, therefore, and then it completely switches to application. And the rest of the book of Ephesians is applying what we were just taught. The rest of Ephesians is applying this high doctrine. So we'll go from teaching to doctrine. And, and, and Paul does this again in Athens, in Acts 17. This is how, this is how Paul actually speaks into racism. Paul, Paul in, in, in chapter 17 of Acts, he will say, he will build his whole doctrine that we are one, that we come from the same stock, that we are all 
from the heirs of Adam and Eve, and he will say, therefore, and he, change, he does a whole teaching on that we are one unified humanity and body of people. This is what Paul, he will say, therefore, based on who God is and where we all came from, this is how you should live and treat one another. Therefores are significant when we see them in Scripture. That's just a side note. Now we'll get into the text. Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And we saw last week that, that Jesus himself, that he wasn't, he wasn't somebody that his life was taken from him, but he was sent to give his life for a ransom for many. That Christ willingly took the cross, that Christ willingly suffered, trusting in his heavenly Father. And here, Peter will tell us to do the same. And he'll say, you can choose to live by the flesh. You can choose to live by the Spirit. And church, what I would present to us today is that oftentimes we can think about the Spirit and we can get really weird. We can get really weird on what does it actually mean to live by the Spirit. Does that mean we just kind of float around and hover from place to place, saying proverbs to one another, that we're always caught up in the third heaven and always in prophetic mode, ready to give a word. No, the flesh is actually a little, the, the, the spirit is actually a little bit more simple than that. And, and Peter, he breaks it down for us. He says, look, to live out the, in the spirit doesn't just mean don't live at all, and you have to be a monk and live in the hills and get away from society. He says, actually, engage society. But he says, you don't have to live like everybody around you. You don't have to fall victim to the way that the world and the culture tells you to live. If you look at the list here in uh, chapter, in verse 3, sensualities, uh, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, um, if you don't know what anything on that list is, ask somebody. Don't Google it. We don't want any Googles here. Um, but this is a list that's, that's uh, in correlation to, to the culture around them. It's in correlation to culture and what people are doing, what people are committed to outside of, of and, and sometimes even within religious institutions, that uh, sensuality and passions and drunkenness were actually very connected in the first century to religious organizations. And what Peter's saying is stay away from that. And he says, but instead, he gives, he gives this next list. If you look down in verse 8 and following, and he says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Wait, the sinner's sin or my sin? And Peter says, yes. It covers a multitude of sins. And he says, show hospitality, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Just as you have received gifts, just as you have received gifts, use it to serve one another, stewards of God's very grace. Church, if you're online and you're listening to us right now, if you're out in the patio if you are in the foyer, if you're in this room or listening later, church, you have been given 
a gift. Every believer has been given a spiritual gift. Now, some of you may have just walked in, and this is your first time, and you're not a Christian. Maybe this is day one of recovery. Maybe you're a lifelong Christian, and you've never thought of yourself as having gifts. Scriptures tell us, and again, if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, every believer has been given a spiritual gift. And this is actually Peter's way of, uh, of combating against fleshly living. It says that if you've been given a gift, if you've been given the gift of encouragement, encourage somebody. A biblical understanding of encouragement, do you know what that is? It is to impart courage, to put courage into people. That when, especially now, this is a, a season where people are scared where you impart courage into them, that you impart that who is in control, that it is our God that is in control, that maybe you have the gift of, of hospitality, that God has given you the gift of welcoming people, caring for people, that that is actually how we combat against fleshly living. You know, some of you, online, in the patio, or here. Some of you have the spiritual gift of making money. You have the spiritual gift of making money. You know those people, and I have a number of those friends, that it just seems like they could do the exact same thing I do, and they would just make money. They just, it's just what they do. They know how to create businesses. They know how to create wealth. They know how to make money. That's a spiritual gift. And I would tell you, church, Exercise that gift just like you would a prophetic gift. Some of you have the ability to bless other people. For others, uh, you, might, you might have the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy. This is actually what Peter will tell us. This is how we live out combating against the flesh. What has God, what has God given you? Is it, a, is it a musical ability? Is it a listening ability where you can listen to people. You can sympathize and empathize with one's pain. Church, this is what I've, I've found in my own personal life as it, as it pertains to gifts, spiritual gifts. Uh, my, my spiritual gifts, to the best of my ability is, um, of, of knowing, is one, is encouragement, and two, is hospitality. I know, I know, everybody thinks Ash is the hospitable one, and she is, but I love welcoming people. I get excited at the idea of getting my house ready and prepared for people to come over or getting things set up, and I also love encouraging people. Um, I love to be in, in the thicket with people and hear what they're going through and be able to see God in it and working through them and to impart courage to them. That would be me living out in the Spirit. Here's what I've noticed in my life, that if you're not walking in your spiritual gift, you're probably walking in the exact opposite spirit. If you're not walking out in your spiritual gift, you're probably walking in the opposite spirit. Here's what I mean. For me, if I have the gift of encouragement and I am walking in an opposite spirit, oftentimes... I'm mean, I'm cynical, I'm degrading, I, I'm short with people. If, 
if my spiritual gift, hospitality, if I'm not walking out in it and I'm not actively pursuing it and giving it to others, then I just want to be to myself. I'm secluded. I stay alone. I'm not excited about other people. If I don't walk this out, if I don't live this out, I'm almost always in the opposite spirit. And what Peter says is he says, we have an opportunity to serve one another, to love this world by either living by the flesh or we can live by the spirit. And those gifts that, you were, that were given to you, it says that you are a steward of them. Do you know what a steward means? That, you're, that means you're not an owner of it. You don't, it's not your money. It's all God's money. It's not a, I'll, I'll cut you a check for 10%, God. You're welcome. Get off my back. It's 100% God's. If you're a steward, if your gift is teaching, the whole thing belongs to God. Well, every now and again, once, once a quarter, God, I'll teach a Sunday school class for you. No, you're a steward of God's gifts. It all belongs to God, and we are meant to steward it well. And this is what Peter will tell us, how we live out in the Spirit of God versus living for our fleshly desires. If your, if your gift's uh, generosity, the opposite of that is oftentimes hoarding, keeping, stockpiling more for you. To live that out in the Spirit is what we are called as stewards of God's gifts that he's given us. This is Peter's remedy to how we live the flesh versus the Spirit. Moving on into verse 7. This one's an interesting one. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. What do we see here? What do we see here? A therefore. So what do we ask ourselves? Yeah, with so much enthusiasm, what is it there for? Peter's going to carry on and he's going to say, this is how you live out flesh versus spiritual gifts. And he's going to say, the end of all things is at hand. So therefore, be self-controlled, be sober-minded. Do you think that this is relevant in our culture right now? Self-controlled and sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober-minded? If you're, what's the opposite of sober? <laughs> Drunk. Drunk-minded. Uh, have any of us ever... Yeah, this is sad to say, but have any of us ever seen drunk people arguing? Yeah, you shouldn't like it, but we all do, because it's interesting. Uh, it makes no sense. It's people yelling at one another. Uh, they're bringing up old stuff. It's, it's bad, and it doesn't make any logical sense. And when I look in our world today, when I look at what's being written, what's being posted, what's being said, what's being said from neighbors, does it seem like it might be relevant, relevant to have a teaching on being sober-minded, self-controlled? The answer is yes. Yes, it is. And Peter will say, for the sake of prayers, keep loving one another earnestly. And he says, 
all things are, and the end of all things are at hand. Just last night, I had a very interesting conversation with people who were talking about end times and that it's just right around the corner and it's connected to mask wearing. Church, the masks are not the mark of the beast. Masks are not the mark of the beast. And I am going to go out on a limb and say that. And I know right now that there are things that are blowing up probably on live feeds and Renee's fingers are going and my inbox is coming in. But uh, I'll see those things on Monday. I'll ignore them because I'm going to go on vacation next week. Um, But masks are not a mark of the beast. Are end times at hand? Well, maybe. There was a best-selling book in 1988 that said 88 reasons, the title of the book, 88 reasons why Christ is coming back in 88. Well, 88 came and went. What happened? The author came out and admitted that he made a mistake. And so he did another book that sold many, many copies, 89 reasons why Christ is coming back in 1989. Christ will come back. Christ is coming back. Christ will come back for his bride. And Jesus himself in Matthew 24 says, I'll be back. I don't know when, but the big man will tell me when I will return. Christ himself says, I do not know the hour or the day of my return. And I, and I, want, us to, I, I want to point this out to you because for the, stay here, Mark, stay here stay here. For the New Testament authors, they, they wrote, they said, all things are at hand. The, uh, be prepared and ready for Christ's return. So what can be easy when we read scripture, we can say, what happened? That was 2,000 years ago. Uh, Peter, this is awkward. Jesus is at, he's coming back? Uh, weeks? Months? No. What we see, and, even, and, and we'll get into this when we get into 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, that Peter says that a thousand days is like a day, and a day is like a thousand days to the Lord. So by that math, it's only been two days from the Lord when he was saying this. So only two days have passed. But what he's talking about is an age. When you see wording like this, that in the end all things are at hand, that what the author is saying is to be in a posture of readiness. To live like Christ could return anytime. He's talking about that all the things of the Old Testament, everything that Christ's coming has been fulfilled. That in Genesis 15, that God said that I will send somebody to atone for the sins of the world. And he sent Jesus. That he said that Jesus Christ would come and be the once and for all atonement. That the Spirit, that Jesus said, I will send my Holy Spirit. And he sends his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And that there's an indwelling in us as believers that have the Spirit. And then the command here is to, that we would all be ready. We would be in the ready posture that Christ could return any moment. Now eventually somebody will prophesy this and get it right. Like that guy that's like 20, you know, 2067. Well, you're probably going to get it because Christ is going to return. But what this text is saying, in the meanwhile, be sober-minded, be self-controlled, love one another, 
be gentle, joyful, that this is how we ought to live because Christ could show up anytime. And I, and I don't know when he's going to return. Jesus says he doesn't return, or doesn't know when he's going to return. But we live in a position of being ready for Christ's return. That is our future hope. Don't be surprised. Beloved, first word, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trials. Now, okay, um, kind of in that zone, uh, I know what time it is, Pastor Ron's listening from at home, maybe we could go another 45 minutes, huh? Joking, joking, Pastor Ron, won't do that. But I, what Peter's saying here is he's, he's going to talk about fiery trials. He's going to talk about uh, tribulation. He's going to talk about um, suffering. And he starts off with beloved. Beloved. Would you hear that today, church, to you? Beloved. 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 In the patio, beloved, online, beloved. He starts off with this affectionate term. Because he knows what the, the message that he's going to have to deliver here. He knows what he needs to say next is not good. But Peter's a good pastor, and he's shepherding his flock well, and he's going to say, Beloved, don't be surprised at fiery trials. Now, what one can say, one could say, well, Peter's just picking up on the theme that he's been saying the whole time, like a purifying fire, and that we're refined in the fire of our suffering. But I think that there's just a a hint more prophetic than that. And I tend to suspect that Peter, he knows what's coming. This book's written in the early to the mid-60s. And there's already an emperor who's a machine, and his name is Nero. And Nero starts out pretty good uh, as the emperor of Rome. But Nero, what will happen is Nero wants a rebuilding of Rome. And he wants the city rebuilt, and he wants more images of himself, and he wants things modernized. But he's he's, he's not getting any legal advice that would let him do that. And so what history tells us and tradition tells us is that, uh, that Nero himself burns his city down ablaze. And for three solid days, the fires last almost nine days in whole, but for three solid days, Rome burns. And it's burning, and it's burning up uh, homes, and it's burning up central locations and statues and figures and history. And what history has told us is that guards were set. Guards were set to not let anybody put out the flames. Many in Rome died, and Nero let the city burn. And, and what's going to happen next will mark the longest run of, of Christian suffering and martyrdom. What Nero does after the city burns, he gets his way, and he gets to rebuild. 
and he begins to rebuild, but he also needs a scapegoat. And what he does is he puts it on the Christians. And he says that the Christians started the fire. And this marks social persecution. People start looking around and going, it's those Christians. Remember the word Christian was not a good word. It was a derogatory word that people that hated Christians or people that weren't Christians said about Christians. And what happens for the next 200 years is a, is a, a massive martyrdom on Christians. Nero himself would uh, bring Christians forth alive, put them and stuff them in animal skins and throw them to the Colosseum to be eaten by wild beasts. Christians, as being martyred for their faith, were used literally, literally as wicks to candles in Nero's garden. This fiery furnace, this fiery trial, is speaking more than just a a metaphor, but, but Peter knows what is to come for Christians. He knows that Christians will have to choose this life. If they're going to be a Christian, they will choose persecution. And as a good pastor, as a good shepherd, he warns them of what is to come. And today, friends, we might not suffer like this. But I promise you, church, that as time moves on, we will have to stand for our faith. As things change and we move into a post-Christian culture, there will be a standing for our faith and that Christ will say, in the midst of suffering, not only did I do it, but I will comfort you in it. There will be a price tag on our faith, friends. And Peter here, he says that we get the choice, just like in my opening story of my friends in Cambodia, we get a choice to choose how we will respond. Will our sufferings, will they harden us? Will our sufferings, like Paul says, they're momentary afflictions. Will they define us? Will, they, will we stand for Christ? Will we stand and say, we proudly will be counted for Christ? Because Peter, he tells us, he tells us here, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory, it rests upon you. The spirit of God rests upon you. Chapter 4 presents to us as a church to live by the flesh or to live by the Spirit. We choose. We get to choose how we'll live this out. It says that we have a future hope, that we don't, we don't live like this is it, that we have a future home, that this, this is not our home, that this is a destination to our eternal home. And that he says when suffering comes, when trials and tribulation comes, Not only did Christ go through it, but he holds you all the way through it, church. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that today you give us your word and that you comfort us through your word. You don't just say that there will be trials and tribulations, but you say that you'll be with us in it. 
Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place without being committed to say that we will love the people outside of this place. That we will be committed to those who hate us. We will love them. We will love our enemies. We will choose to walk out in our spiritual gifts. We'll choose to bless others. We'll choose to impart courage. We'll choose to not live in fear. Because your word tells us that you win in the end. Your word tells us that you, Christ, hold the victory. That your word, it tells us that there is no suffering in our life that you are not covering and that you're with. For those in this room that are suffering right now, Jesus, would you be with us in our suffering? To those that will suffer, would you be with those? God, would you be our comforter? Lord, we just say before you as a church, online, in the patio, and in this room, that we trust you and that our faith is in you and you alone, Christ. We love you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.